So glad you're here today. If you're a guest, let me um, join my uh, welcome with Jeremy. So earlier, you received a uh, bulletin this morning. Looks, uh, have a little insert, a registration card. If you're a first-time guest, we'd love for you to fill that out. And when the service is concluded, has concluded, if you'll come over here to the Welcome Center, my wife Ashley and I would love to, uh, to meet you, to just spend a few, time, a few moments with you, give you a book that we have written or I have written. And so uh, speaking of my wife, I'm glad she's doing better. Last week she just fell right out in the middle of the parking lot. She said it was an ugly fall. Everything just went everywhere. Turned her ankle real bad and had to go home and, and uh, listen to the, to the message on the... Um, on the internet there, but she's doing better. You just can't keep a good woman down. Amen. She is, uh, she's up and at them and I'm glad she's okay. I really am. And I think she's out there uh, greeting and she'll be back in here in just a, just a few minutes. So we're in Acts chapter five and I invite you to turn with me. If you have your Bible, maybe you'll follow along with me on your, on your version app. If you use that Uh, We also have uh, an outline for the message in the worship guide. It's also on our church app if you want to follow along there. Uh, Many have tuned us in through Facebook and Twitter and the YouTube channel, and we're grateful to God that you have joined in with us. Many of you are on vacation, travel, and uh, we're we're delighted that you've joined in with us. And thank you especially for those that are here present live, 10,500 Jollyville. We are studying the book of Acts Uh, For many weeks, yea, many months, who knows, maybe years that we are studying verse by verse, line upon line, uh, this great book of Acts, written around AD 63. The man who wrote it was a man by the name of Luke. He's a close associate, a companion of the Apostle Paul. He accompanies Paul on some of these missionary journeys. He's a medical doctor. He's very educated, but he's also a great historian, a great writer, and much of our New Testament is attributed to him. When you combine the book of Luke of course, that he wrote, then the book of Acts that he wrote. Some argue pretty persuasively that he wrote the book of Hebrews. And if that is true, then he is one of the most prolific authors in our canon, uh, uh, New Testament books there that we cherish, that we appreciate so much that Sunday mornings when we come together as a congregation like this, we come from many different backgrounds. We're a very multicultural church, a very multi-generational church, but the thing that binds us together and the thing that we rally around is the scripture. We love the Bible at Great Hills Baptist Church. One of our core values is uh, prayer. And we were praying, praying, praying earlier this morning, enjoyed praying with you collectively a moment ago. But our first core value is that we really want to spend time as a church studying the Bible, preaching the Bible, teaching the Bible. And so thank you for joining in with this, you know, Acts chapters one through four. I mean, I mean, it's hard to catch your breath, really. When you read it, it just pulsates with so much activity and, and joy. And you see the church, it starts with 120. And then the next thing you know, one writer believes that it has expanded to chapter 4 to about 250,000 people. Now, that is phenomenal growth. You say, what do you attribute the amazing explosive growth of the early church? Well, a lot of things. The Holy Spirit has inspired them, and they're out sharing the gospel with many and the pastors are preaching the word of God. And and it's just like the hand and the favor of God rest upon them. It is good to know when you study the book of Acts and when you interpret it, it's always really good to keep in mind that the early church was ministering in what you would call a spiritual awakening. And in spiritual awakening, God just, 
he does phenomenal things. And we've seen some of those in the past, in the history. And of course, I'm praying before Jesus comes again that he will visit this planet again with great revival and great spiritual awakening where the hearts of people are just more in tune with the things of God. And so when you read Acts chapters one through four, you'll notice that it just moves with so much alacrity and, and power as people are being saved and baptized and discipled. And I mean, there's hostility. Remember that in Acts three where the early church, the leaders, they're incarcerated and then they're interrogated and the people are praying and they're released and they go and celebrate so much so. In Acts chapter four, it says, when they had gathered together and prayed, the place where they were assembled, I believe it's the same place as the upper room in Acts 1.14, says the place literally quakes and shakes with the power of God and they're praying, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're speaking the word of God and then things are happening. And then chapter five, chapter five begins with the conjunction, but, or you could translate it, however. Now, the first word that Luke gives us here in this new paragraph or portion of scripture, he, he, he wants you to know early on that something has happened, things have changed, and he's going to interject what what one writer I read called one of the most distressing events in all the Bible. One of you told me earlier this week, they said, I'm very interested in your sermon this week. What are you going to do with Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, you're like, well, what happened to these people? I mean, it wasn't like somebody died, was it? Well, actually it was. Two people died in church. See, yeah, Ananias Whose name, whose name, literally his name means God is gracious, and Sapphira, whose name means beautiful, they were playing the part of the hypocrite, and they were deceptive, and they were lying to God and lying to the apostles, lying to the church. They were playing the part of the hypocrite where they had a mask on, they were pretending one thing, and yet they were in actuality a totally different thing, and God called them out on it. And so I'm going to read this text to you. And as I do, I really ask you to pray for me. I mean, people I've been asking all week, please pray for me. And this early as this morning, we gather with a group of men, please pray for me. This is not an easy passage of scripture. It's probably one of the most difficult sermons I'll ever preach at Great Hills Baptist Church because you run the risk of misunderstanding who God is and who we are as a church when we focus on and this is something my, my wife is a great interpreter of scripture. She and I were talking about that, this this week and she, she hit the head, the nail right on the head. She said, well, when you read that passage of scripture, you must appreciate the holiness of God. And I thought that is exactly right. And thank you, Terry. And uh, thank you for leading us in that song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. He is majestic. He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is the all-powerful God, providential God, sovereign God of the universe. He cannot look upon sin because he's just so just and so righteous and so holy. So we have a predicament, do we not? We have a dilemma. We have a cosmic dilemma. How in the world can we as sinful human beings that we are, how in the world could we ever enter up into the presence of God? And here comes the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity. In man's religion, World religions, they are all the common. They, they all try to earn favor, work, 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 try to please God, try to go into the presence of God with their good works. But Christianity is just the antithesis of that. In Christianity, God says, you could never make it to me, so I'm gonna come down to you, and he does. In the form of his son, the second person of the Godhead, blessed Trinity, yes, Father, 
Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus comes. He dies on the cross. He dies a, what, what you call a vicarious, substitutionary death where he takes all of our sin and he bears it and he pays the price with his blood so that you and I now have entrance into the presence of God the Father and our sins now are forgiven and we are cleansed and we stand in the presence of God with joy and with radiance and forgiveness and that is the beauty of the cross. And now as a church, as little pockets of believers scattered all over the known world, we come together and we conduct ourselves in a way we try to bring honor and glory to God and an appreciation for what God has done for us. And so the church is God's idea. He wants us to be holy as He is holy. And as we read Acts chapter 5, just please keep this hermeneutical principle in mind. The holiness of God. Hermeneutics is simply a big word that means the art of interpretation. When you interpret this passage with me, and we will. In fact, we're going to go through every verse, all verses 1 through 11. If you stay with us over the next 20 years, you will have gone through every verse in the book of Acts. I mean, we're going to cover every, all the hard verses. And this is especially one of them. Luke says, but. However... There was a certain man named Ananias, God is gracious, and Sapphira, whose name is beautiful. That's, she is his wife. And they sold a possession. A possession there, the, the word literally means real estate or a piece of property. And that's not uncommon because the early church, they were doing this. They were selling their land and their possessions, and they were coming and giving the proceeds to the church so that people's needs could be met. We talked about that last week, so let's keep going. And he kept back. That's the key word there for Ananias. He kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also, being aware of it, and please underscore that, and they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now the deception is they, they pretended to bring all of that. They, they, they said, oh yeah, we sold all of our lands and here is all the money, but in reality they kept back part of the proceeds, and they just weren't clean. They just weren't honest about it. And that's what was so detrimental. But Peter said, Ananias, now remember, they are moving and living in a time called spiritual awakening where God does miraculous, supernatural things. I think verse three is one of those. I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter precisely what had happened. How else would Peter know? He's not omniscient. He doesn't know their, their bank account, right? How would he know that they kept back part of the proceeds. I believe God gave him a word of knowledge, a word of prophecy, and he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? You have lied to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. Verse four, while it remained, was it not your own? <laughs> Peter's going to go on to say, guys, come on. I mean, all you had to do is just be honest and just say, here's part of the proceeds. You know, we kept the back part of it. But they had this pretense, this duplicity, this hypocrisy, this deception going on. And Peter's going to have none of it. Neither, more importantly, will the Holy Spirit have none of it. Why don't why do remain? Was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. Then Ananias Hearing these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Translation, he died. God killed him. That's, that's it. So, wow. God really did that in the church? That's what it says. And look at verse 5. So great fear, you better believe it, great fear 
came upon all of those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Why did they bury him? Because he was dead. You bury dead people, right? Okay, good. Just make sure everybody understands this really did happen, all right? Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me, gonna give her one more chance to come clean. Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her out, they buried her with her husband. Verse 11 says, not just a little fear, but great fear came upon all the church. And by the way, that is the first time in the book of Acts that the word church is used. The other time we see it when Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But now in Acts, where you see the explosive growth of the church, the first time, I think this is very significant, that the first time ecclesia, ecclesia is used in the book of Acts, is used within the context of the holiness of God. And fear came upon the church and upon all, check this out, not just the church, but upon everybody. I think in Jerusalem, all over the community, all of those who heard these things. So we read this text today and we ask the Lord with great humility and just dependence upon Him, God speak to us. Help us understand clearly what is going on. But not only help us understand what happened then, but God help us understand who you are better today so that we can, watch this church, so that we can avoid at all cost deception and hypocrisy. And then at all cost embrace and enjoy and appreciate and worship the God of holiness, the God of justice. He's also the God of mercy and compassion. And so may we, when we dive into this text, may we say, God, please help us. Help us understand. Here's something I, I want to share, to share with you. And this is very, very important. And this will be the determining factor for what happens in the next few minutes. In your heart and in your mind, one of two things is going to happen. Now listen to me very, very carefully, okay? It's incredibly important. First of all, you're going to come to this passage of Scripture and you're either going to judge God or number two, you're going to allow God to judge you. Now the former means you begin to judge God and you begin to call God unjust, unfair. How could you do something like this? Oh my goodness, I thought you were a good God. You see what happens? Our hermeneutics now is we have put ourselves above God and we are judging Him. We are telling Him He is wrong and you should not have done that. Do you see that posture? Number two, the posture is this. God, I humble myself before you. You are God. This is a sacred book. This is your word. You have recorded this. You have given to us for a reason. Yes, this is harsh. Yes, there's part of this I don't understand, but God, I trust in you. And so Lord, instead of me today teaching you, I humble myself. God, would you teach me? Which one are you? Which one? Are, I mean, really, seriously, for the next 30 minutes or so, Everything depends upon how you answer that question. Will you judge God 
And will you tell him he's unfair and you're right and he's wrong? Or will you say, hey, God is God, God is just. I may not understand everything, but I trust God. And God, I'm asking you to teach me. One writer put it like this, and he, and it's, he captures what's going on. He said, and though Luke has taken evident pleasure in reporting the progress of the gospel and the vitality of faith during these early days of the church in Jerusalem, he does not omit this, here's what he calls it, most distressing event. It, it is a situation that must have lain heavily on the hearts of the early Christians but it is also a message that needs to be constantly kept in mind by Christians today, end of quote. So what we do is we're going to look at verse uh, 1 through 11. We're going to look at it from the, from the perspective of man's hypocrisy, okay? And then we're going to wrap it up by looking at just God's justice and God's holiness. So in verse 1, the couple, their name is mentioned. I've told you about their names and what they represent, who they are. They're part of the early church. I do believe they're Christians. Some people would disagree with that and say, well, I don't think they are. I, tell you, I, I, th I believe they are. I just think they have fallen into hypocrisy and deception. One, one person says, here's what I think is what's happening. They saw the esteem. They saw the recognition of Barnabas and they wanted that. They wanted everybody to say, wow, aren't you amazing? That's amazing, Barnabas. You sold all this land and you're giving it to the apostles' feet. And the people are praising and saying, way to go, Barnabas. And Ananias and Sapphira are saying, how can we get that kind of treatment but not pay that kind of price? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> that is rampant in our churches in America today. How can we get the pleasure of God, the blessing of God, but, but not so much all of this holiness and righteousness and justice of God? You, you with me? And so that's what they're doing. They, they play the part of the hypocrite. They play the part of, of deceiving the early church. They thought they were deceiving Peter and the apostles and the whole church. But really what is going to happen is they're going to be uh, called out. It's interesting when you read in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, there's one thing that God seems to be especially sensitive to. And he is not as... He's, he's pretty intolerant of, and it is a word called hypocrisy. God detests hypocrites. God judges and punishes those of us who say we are one thing, but in reality, we're absolutely diametrically the opposite of what we pretend to be. Now you say, who was the harshest critic of hypocrisy? That would be Jesus Christ. And I believe it's because he was the most pure, transparent, beautiful, consistent man of integrity. And when he spots that which is inconsistent and that which is duplicitous and that which is false and that which plays the hypocrite, then it, it incurs the wrath of God. Now, I want to show you this in the New Testament. And, and a beautiful passage of Scripture that illustrates this is, is Matthew 6, 2. It's so descriptive. I want, I want you to see it. It says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the, that word in the Greek, y'all, is interesting. It is a transliterated English word. The Greek word is hypocritos. Hypocritos is precisely where we get the English word hypocrite. He says, do not do as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may, watch this, have the glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. 
in the, in the Greek uh, plays, the productions and the theaters, those who would play um, the roles, you know the little mask they would have, the little pole, and they would have the, um, the mask, and it would be, you know, a distorted, angry figure that they are portraying, or be a very happy and joyous person, but the truth is still the same. It wasn't the person, right? The person behind the mask was the person, but they played the hypo- hypocritos. They were the playing the hypocrite because they were playing a part that they were not genuinely of themselves. And so Jesus is saying, please, whatever you do, do not do that. Do not say you are one thing, but in actuality, you're absolutely something else. Be honest. It's like Jesus is saying, be honest with me. Be honest with the church. Quit playing the part of the hypocrite. Okay, here it is, church. If you and I were to walk out these doors today and we were to go out in the city of Austin and we were to ask people, what, what is the one thing that, that upsets you about the church? And while you will not visit any of these great churches in the city of Austin, they will say, well, the church is full of a bunch of... Is that true? And so they, they judge us. And, and I know we, we are all hypocritical at times. I get that. I mean, I know... For example, if I'm driving down the highway and somebody pulls in front of me, I, I know I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I'm a pastor, and I'm, the, I'm the, you know, here at this church. And when I lay my hand on that horn, and by the way, I haven't done this in a long time, I'm very, very happy. It's happened, though. As your pastor, lay down on that horn. What's wrong, you idiot? You know, and then I'm like, oh, goodness, what in the world? Y'all ever done that? I'm just, just curious, you know. Hey, hey, have you ever done that on your way to Great Hills Baptist Church? (laughs) Really, we're playing the part of the hypocrite because we know deep down inside that's not us. We love God. We love, the Bible says, love God, love your neighbor. That's our neighbor. Just cut us off, made us upset, but we shouldn't get so, so I get that. We all play the part of hypocrisy at times, but here's what Jesus is getting at when it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a lot, it becomes who you are. All your dealings, are unjust, all your thoughts are impure, your eyes wander to places that they should not, your feet take you to establishments that they should not, and this becomes a habitual pattern of your life, and yet you come to Great Hills Baptist Church on Sunday morning and go, Woo, praise the Lord, amen, I love God, look out, I hope God doesn't strike you down, because that is playing the part of a, yeah, you got it, girl, boy. Say it with me, a a hypocrite. All right, so that's Matthew 6, 2. I really wanted to share that with you. Now, here we go in verse 2 of Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 5, it says, and he kept back. Now, we're in verse 2. That is, that's the linchpin. That's the hermeneutical key that will unlock the mystery of this whole passage. He kept back. It's interesting, in the translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek, That is called the LXX or what? Some of you scholars, that's right, the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew. This same word is used to translate what AI did, uh, well, excuse me, what Achan did in Jericho. Let me me recreate it for you. Joshua 6.18, God strictly prohibits the Israelites from taking any of the possessions of Jericho. 
He said, do not take these possessions to your own. Take the gold and the silver and the precious metals, whatever, and bring them to the treasury of the Lord. But there was a man named Achan, A-C-H-A-N, and the same word is used for what he did in Joshua chapter seven to what Ananias and Sapphira did in Acts chapter two. He took it as his own. He kept back part of what God strictly prohibited him not to do. And so the Bible says that Israel fell upon hard times. They could not uh, defeat their enemies at Ai. And they were just struggling. And God revealed to their leader, to Joshua, just like he revealed to the leader, Peter, very synonymous, very much a parallel passage of scripture. And he said, one of these guys has played the part they did specifically what I commanded them not to do. And so therein lies your problem. And they bring Achan together. And sure enough, Achan says, well, I, it's me. I, I took the gold. I took the silver. I didn't bring it to, the, uh, to God's house. It's under my tent. You can go and you can find it. He died. And 36 of his members of his family died. And God judged them, strictly judged him. He said, well, that's so harsh. But listen, guys. As God was establishing Israel in Canaan, this is very important, God was establishing the church in Jerusalem, and God wanted it to be very, very clear that His people are going to be different. Now, I know, 21st century America, you're wrestling with this. You're struggling with this. Some of you are. Could it be, could it be that we struggle with this so much because we don't really know who God is, that God is that just? And God is that holy. And that God, he, he is so transcendent. He is so awesome in power. And we are flippant with him. And that we just kind of take Christianity here or there. Or we will just play the part that we want to play. And I think God has reserved this passage of scripture in this for us to go, wait a minute. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is, is, is what's true knowledge. Proverbs 9, 10. Okay, let's, let's shift gears here for just a moment. Because I thought by this point in the sermon, you will be thoroughly discouraged, okay? So I just want to, and maybe not so much discouraged, as there may be a holy hush of, I can't remember the last time in a church in America where I, I heard a sermon about the holiness of God and the judgment of God. And I apologize for that. And that is an indictment upon the pulpits of America. Because we, by and large, have abandoned the preaching, the systematic teaching and preaching of the Bible. And the reason we do is because of texts like Acts chapter 5. Who wants to stand up and preach on this? I mean, really? And I'm thinking, Lord God, this is what you've called us to. You've called us to exposit the whole counsel of God. So that in this text, you and I can appreciate when we see hypocrisy, we recognize it. But watch this. So that when we see integrity, we can really appreciate it. And so I, I was... Um, a few years ago, I was watching television, and, and um, Jim Nance was commentating about a football game, and the camera went over to a coach named Tony Dungy. Now, Tony Dungy, it really is the epitome of what you would call integrity, a man of God, a man of righteousness. No, he's not a pastor. He's not a man of the cloth. He is a coach. He is a football coach. In 2006, they won the world championship, the Super Bowl, as he coached the Indianapolis Colts. 
He came in 2006 and spoke to the Southern Baptist Convention. When I was there, I was listening to him speak in Indianapolis and his pastor, who's a Southern Baptist pastor, introduced him, Ken Whitney introduced him and he spoke and he gave a great message. I got on the airplane and I was flying back to Dallas and I sat next to a guy who was reading Tony Dungy's book called Quiet Strength, a great book. And so I, uh, I asked the guy, I said, oh, did you go to the Southern Baptist Convention? You must have picked it up there. He goes, excuse me? He had no idea what I was talking about. And I said, oh, I said, uh, but I noticed you have Dungy's book. He said, yeah, I was, just picked it up. I thought I would read it. Have you? I said, well, have you read it? He said, I've read a lot of it. I said, well, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, does he say anything in that book about his faith? Now, I knew that he did. I just wanted to see this guy's reaction. He goes, does he? He said, man, the whole book. It talks about God and his faith and, and integrity. And, and so I had an opportunity to share the, the gospel with this guy and witness to this guy. Speaking of Tony Dungy, here's a quote from him. He said, people look at me and they see a calm, cool guy on the sidelines. And I want them to know that my Christian faith affects my coaching. Watch this church. My Christian faith affects A-F-F-E-C-T-S. It affects my coaching and everything I do. And that's integrity. There's no duplicity or falsehood or deception in that. Here is a football coach saying, my Christianity impacts my coaching, yes, but it impacts everything that I do, all that I am. He said, I've said it all along. God is in control. I, I can't wait. Is anybody, can, can anybody relate to what I'm about to say next? Is anybody else ready for some football? I mean, anybody else? I mean, I, mean, I, I can only watch golf so much. I'm, I, after the 18th uh, Hallmark, uh, I know what's going to happen. So I'm just like, what, what, Hallmark episode, all, you know, I'm just like, I'm telling you the truth. Friday night, I got so missing football. I watched the Texas A&M Clemson football game on television. And I was pulling for the Aggies. I knew they weren't going to win, but I was just hoping. I was hoping it, it, it would turn out different this time, you know, and it didn't. And my wife, she looks at me and she literally rolls her eyes and says, you're helpless. You're just helpless. You know, you, you just watch. I'm like, I miss, I miss it. Tony Dungy in a few weeks, you'll see him on NBC. On Sunday night football, he will, he will do some commentating and, 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 and you'll, you'll recognize him. You'll see him. When you go to his Twitter page, he introduces himself and then he says, I, he says, live by these words, Mark 8, 36. And this is what Mark 8, 36 says. Whew. Man, I think of Achan. I think of Ananias and Sapphira. When Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, for what shall it profit a man? Whew. Anybody want to help me? If he gains the whole world and yet loses loses his soul. On July the 15th, just a few days ago, his, his last uh, tweet says this, do it the right way all the time. Isn't that cool? It's a football coach, y'all. Do it the right way all the time. We back up to verse three. We see this story. It's the spiritual leader. There he is in the church of Jerusalem. God gave him this supernatural insight into what this couple has done. Ananias and Sapphira, they stand exposed before a holy God. And, and it's interesting, when you look at verse 3, it says, Why has Satan, ah, here we go, 
When's the last time we heard a sermon about that guy? And listen, whenever you see hypocrisy, Satan is lurking at the door. He is tempting you and me to be something that we're not or to pretend to be something that we're not. And so he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? F.F. Bruce, great scholar, says this, Ananias, in the effort to gain a reputation for greater generosity than he actually earned, he tried to deceive the believing community, but in trying to deceive the community, he was really trying to deceive the Holy Spirit, whose life-giving power had created the community and maintained its being. In verse 4, Peter asks some very pointed questions as he examines Ananias, and it's the same today. You and I cannot absolve ourselves from moral responsibility by blaming it on the devil, okay? We can't. We can't absolve ourselves and our culpability and our guilt and just say, well, I just gave in because the devil made, help me, he made me do it. That argument did not go over very well with Peter and the early church. Yes, Satan tempted, tempted them. And by the way, Satan tempts me every day. He tempts me every day to not only look upon the fruit, but grab the fruit and bite the fruit. Now, he doesn't make me do that, but he tempts me. And by the way, my temptation to sin may not be your temptation to sin. You may really struggle with greed, or you may really struggle with same-sex attraction. Or you may really struggle with anger. Or you may, and all these are temptations to do something that would lead you to violate one of the commandments of God. No, no, it's not a sin to be tempted, right? All of us are tempted, but what we do next, what we do next determines if we're going to listen to the voice of God or we're going to listen to the voice of the enemy. And our actions will speak so much louder than our words. Had Ananias just taken responsibility. And had he just come clean, just been honest, he could have come and said, Peter, man, I'm sorry. I, I sold this land for, let's just say, $1,000. And, you know, I'm giving the church 500 and I'm trying to pretend to everybody in here that I'm really giving, uh, you know, the whole amount. I'm not giving the whole amount. My wife, Sapphira, and I, we concocted this whole idea. In fact, here's the other 500. I'm sorry. It would have saved his life. It would have saved his life. But he continued on to be something that he wasn't. Here it is, the hypocrite, the mask, the duplicity, the deception, the hypocrisy, the sin, and it will cost him, cost him greatly. Verses five and six, you see the judgment of God, right? He had lied to God. He said, you did not lie to men, but you lied to God earlier. Watch this. He said he had lied to the Holy Spirit, which to me is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible on the deity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is expressly called God in this passage of Scripture. To me, it's one of the great arguments for the Trinity or for the deity of the Spirit. The deaths of Ananias and Sapphira were punitive and they were preventative. They were punitive in that they incurred the wrath of God, but they were also preventative. <laughs> Would you not agree? I mean, I'm telling you, if I'm going to come to the First Baptist Church there in Jerusalem and I'm going to come and say I'm giving X amount, I'm going to give X amount. I'm, I'm going to remember what happened to those guys. I don't want that to happen to me. And I want to be honest before God. I want to be honest before His people. Listen, 
you may not take this very seriously. You may have already been deep in the judgment of God instead of God judging you. And you're waiting for the, for the, the clock to strike noon, which doesn't matter a whole lot around here. But anyhow, you're still waiting on it. I'm hoping, hoping you'll get out a little bit early. And you're like, you're dismissing all of this talk about God's holiness and God's justice and God's wrath. But you really ought to listen carefully. Because God reserved this, God preserved this for, for a reason. I, I've tried to think of dynamic equivalents and, and I, I don't, the only thing I can, I can think of that, that kind of comes close is at Great Hills Baptist Church, we ask all of our staff and all of our deacons to tithe. And that's what we ask them to do. You say, if you're going to, I think you even have to sign if you're a deacon that you will, um, you will not get drunk. You will uh, not, you will go right through 1 Timothy 3. You will do all of those things. You will give, you'll be very generous and you will tithe. And if you're a deacon at Great Hills Baptist Church and you sign that and you said, I'm tithing and you're not tithing, then I'm, I'm, I'm fearful for you because you said you were going to do something, but you're not, but you're not doing it. And if our offering goes up a hundred grand tomorrow, I'm, I'm just going to say, wow, you know, wow, guys, because I don't check your record. I don't check your, I don't check your records and say, well, you, you make X amount and let me go over here and say 10%. Hey, listen, that's, that's between you and God. But if you tell me as your pastor, you're submitting to my leadership to be a deacon in this church and you're one of our staff and you say that, then I just very well hope that you actually do what you tell God and the church that you said you were going to do, okay? MacArthur helps me with this. He said, it's a sobering truth that God sometimes takes the lives of sinning believers. But a benefit of church discipline is that it deters others from sinning. No doubt, much self-examination took place following the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. Church discipline, oh my. What do you do? What do we do in America if you're a member of a local church and you, and you commit some egregious violation of God and His Word and and you're not afraid of it. You're not embarrassed of it. You, in fact, you just actually parade it. And what, what do we do in leadership as a church if we don't hold you accountable for that? Th then I've got, to I've got to be accountable to God. Some of you are looking at me. You're getting upset. You're going, what, it, what, what does it matter to you? What, what I do with my life? It matters a lot if you're a member of this church. If you're a member of this church... And then you do something and live a kind of life that is totally antithetical to the word of God and we do not call you out on it, then I believe I face the judgment of God. And that's why we will do church discipline. And can I just say this? I absolutely very much dislike that. You show me a pastor who enjoys doing that and I'll show you a pastor that's just like, he might just be mean. I mean, because I, I have no desire whatsoever, but I honestly fear God more than I fear you. Sapphira, bless her soul. She comes, she plays the part of the hypocrite. She dies. Both of them, verses 9 and 10, they test the Holy Spirit. They're chastened. Verse 11 is very instructive. It, it, the Bible says great fear fell upon the people. Now you got to understand, that's just not the, the, the gathered people there in the in the church of Jerusalem, this is, this is the, the statement at large that fear fell upon the community. It's interesting. I said this earlier, but the first time 
that you read that the Greek word ekklesia is used is in this context. Can I break that down for you for just a minute? I, this is so important. I think sometimes we, we forget what a church really is. A church is an ecclesia. The ek, the prefix, means out of, out of. Laleo, the Greek word means to call. And when you put those two together, the church is the called out people of God. We're called out of the world. We're called out of our hypocrisy. We're called out of our sin. We're saved by God. We demonstrate our salvation through baptism because that is a beautiful picture. We don't do that because we're trying to earn God's favor, but we get baptized because it says to everybody, I was, I've died to my sin. God has given me a new life. And you come to Great Hills Baptist Church and you study the word of God with me. You get into small groups, you get into discipleship and you move toward maturity and you're sanctified and you're walking with God. Why? Because God saved you. God called you out. And God wants you to look different. God wants you to speak different. God wants you to be different. He wants you. Can I just go on record and say this? As controversial as it may be, and as much judgment as I may receive, here it comes. God wants you and me to be holy. Holy. You say, me? What do you, what in the world, me? Behold, did you know the Bible refers to you as a saint of God? You're a saint. The blood of Jesus courses through your body. God has saved you. God has changed you. God did, God did so much on the cross. Did he die? Did he send his spirit so that you and I could live just like the world? Oh, if there's a place I could hide, I would, I would hide. It's hard. He said, but hold on a second. That kind of preaching and that kind of life is going to lead you into Pharisaism. You're going to be the biggest judge, and I don't want to have anything to do that. Hold on a second. Hold on just a second. Who in the Bible was very harsh on sin, but very compassionate, very loving, very holy. He, in fact, he would say things like, neither do I judge, go and sin no more. Come and be different, come on. That's Jesus. So I believe that if I am pursuing God and, and, and not in this rancorous spirit, this polemical, harsh, uh, 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 pointing out. But if I am just saying, Lord God, I love you and I want to be more like you and I want to serve you and, and I just want to live for you and in honor of you, I think that pleases God. But if I take the grace and cheapen it and just say, well, it, it really doesn't matter, does it, God, if I just look like everybody else and, and just do like everybody else, and I think that breaks the heart of God. This story not only just exclaims the hypocrisy, but if you've got to see the second part real quickly. It, it, it really accentuates the holiness of God. And there's two things about His holiness I want you to notice with me. Number one is inception. Remember that the early church is just getting started. This is going to, I hope this helps you. Because you don't read about this ever again in the Bible. And you don't, read, you, you don't read many occurrences in the Old Testament where God opens up the ground and they swallow all the, the people, all the sinners, right? 
But in the beginning with the promised land, in the beginning in Jerusalem, God is making a statement that his expectation for his people is they will be different. They will look different. They will act different. They will treat people differently. They will be men and women of imputed righteousness. God's righteousness is on us. And we will want to be different. Not, not, please hear my heart on this. Please, please hear my heart on this. Different in the sense that I'm not better than you or how dare you. No, it's better in the sense that I want to be more like Jesus. I want my life to reflect the life of Jesus more. Listen to this. If I do that and I pursue that lofty, worthy goal, sin will be diminished in my life and righteousness and purity will be pursued. Why? Because of my absolute love and devotion for Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the holy one, the king who laid down his life for his subjects. So please keep that in mind. Inception during the formative years, whether it's Israel and Canaan, or Christians in Jerusalem in these formative years, God is establishing that his people are to be sanctified there to be different and holy. And number two is the impact. I brought this out in the reading of God's word. Great fear came upon all of those who heard these things. Verse 11, great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things, both the church and the people at large. They heard what happened and it was a great deterrent for them to sin. Whew. Thank you, Lord. Will you judge God? Will you say he's unfair? Will you say how mean, how cruel that is of him to do that? Or will you let God judge you? That, that really is the difference maker. That's the difference Maybe the difference whether you'll ever come back here again. That's the kind of church going to preach passages of Scripture like that, honey. I just don't quite rightly know if that's the kind of church. Well, let me tell you something. I don't always preach on God killing people. I just, I just want you to know that. I, if this is your first time to Great Hills Baptist Church, I don't always preach on God killing people and, so, and holiness and righteousness, sanctification. But the reason I do preach it is because it's in the Bible. And I say, and I'm a Bible preacher, and I say things like I believe in church discipline, and I say that all these things, and lo and behold, I better back it up. I better, to the best of my ability, try to be consistent before you. I'm telling you guys, I, I've written this a couple of times. I need your prayers. I absolutely need your prayers. That I would be a man of God, that I would walk close with God and that I would not give in to the bombardment and the continual temptation to sin. You say, well, I thought you lived in a different stratosphere, brother. I thought, you would, I thought when you came to church on Monday mornings, you walked on water. I thought you just kind of wafted up in the clouds and just kind of landed here. I don't know what in the world you've been thinking, but that is not me. I am just like you. Put these britches on the same way you do and deal with the same devil that you do. But maybe I just have to deal with him a little bit more than you do. To take me out, man, to take you out, man. Ah, go to that church. Church is a bunch of hypocrites. Ah, don't go to your very, oh, don't, 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 don't. And listen, just to say, Lord God, help us. 
Help us to be full of grace and full of truth. Father, I'm praying. I'm praying for me. I'm praying right now for our people that we would be the people of God, a people that is called out separate. And Lord, if this message is, if it's convicting, if it's, if it's piercing someone and Lord, it's you doing it, hallelujah, I give you praise. But Lord, if there's something I said that's causing discomfort, if it's something that I said, Lord, that's not of you, then I pray, God, it, it just falls false to the ground. But Lord, to the best of my ability, I've tried to present you and your word truthfully and honestly before your people. And so now, Lord, I'm just going to step away. Step away. I'm going to ask you, Holy Spirit of God, to do your work, to draw your church into a deeper, intimate relationship with you. God, to remind us all, please, God, remind us all again that sin is very serious. Yes, we're forgiven. Praise God, we're on our way to heaven. But Paul says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? In Romans 6, 1, he says, God forbid. Heavens, no. God saved us so that we could be a precious treasure, a work of grace, so that people can look at us and say, well, that's what you once were, but now this is what you are. Would God do the same thing for me? Lord, use us. God, help us to be men and women of purity and righteousness. God, please have mercy on us. Please forgive us, God, in our obstinance and in our hypocrisy. And Lord, when we disobey you, willingly, willingly disobey you, God, please have mercy on us, Lord, and help us to, to be in fellowship with you. And Jesus, I just want to talk to you. I want to talk to you in front of all these people. Please, Lord, please show Great Hills Baptist Church the absolute necessity it is to be in discipleship, to be discipled by somebody else and to be discipling somebody else. Because Lord, I'm convinced as we're in fellowship with you and we're in accountability and mentoring with other believers, Lord, we will stay on the straight and the narrow. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow, you said, Jesus, is the path that leads to heaven. God, help us all to be on this narrow path. Help us to be the people of God you want us to be in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me. We'll have our invitation. Our band's going to come and lead us in a song. And, and we just, we trust God. We trust His Word. We invite you to come. And you just, you need to come to the altar and pray. You come. If you need just to stay quiet and still where you are, then you stay there. But we invite you as the Spirit of God leads you.